0: Morning Door Creek, good to be together, happy new year to those of you and whoever's a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors, part of the teaching team, glad that you've joined us. So I don't know if you heard it Thursday night or if it was early Friday morning, but I'm sure you were just like Lori and I when we heard the news, we couldn't believe it, that Jamie was found alive, that she'd escaped, yeah it was great news, great news. After almost 90 days, and we can only imagine the journey that she's on as she's processing the, the violent death of her parents and her own kidnapping since back October 15th. And as we uh, think about Jamie, we're thinking about this roadblock called Hurts, and Jamie's Hurt is one of those supersized, big time Hurts. Hurts come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, don't they? there's all different kinds of hurts there's the the physical hurts there's the emotional ones there's the spiritual ones the church hurts sometimes you know the crazy things that we've done and experience in the context of a church that often drives people far from not only the church but from god there is the intentional variety then there's the i didn't mean that to happen completely unintentional hurts they're the real ones the perceived or imagined ones, there's the recent hurts, and then there's those ones that still hurt, and it's been a long time ago since that all happened, the, the long-standing ones. There are the faithful wounds of a friend the Bible talks about. There are the self-inflicted wounds that we deal with and suffer from our from our own lack of judgment. There are these God-given wounds, uh, the kind that God gave to the Apostle Paul when he had this thorn in the flesh, these divine kind of wounds. They're the societal ones like injustice. There's the hurt from loss and death. And what about the pain from being someone who's different and all the different ways that that could be described in society, including the color of our skin or maybe the physical or developmental challenges that we have. Lots and lots of ways that we can run into this roadblock called hurt. Probably the most common, the most universal The one that if I said right now, what was the time where you were most deeply hurt? It would probably be in this category. I'll call it a relational hurt, usually from people that are closest to us. I think the likelihood is the closer we are in a relationship with someone, the more likely we could experience a deeper pain. You just think about all the hurt that we've seen and experienced in, in families, in marriages, between parents and children and siblings, the, the kind of hurt that we've experienced in, in the workplace and maybe in a partnership or in community or with a friend at school. Lots of relational hurt. And experiencing hurt is inevitable in a world that is twisted and fallen and broken, in a world that was created perfectly, but giving us all the opportunity to make choices. And a lot of those choices, when we don't choose God, have resulted in great hurt. And so from the beginning of human history, according to the Bible, we have a history of hurting each other. And the the reality is, hurt people, you know what they do? I hurt people. And so that's part of it. And this message isn't how you can live a pain-free life. Wouldn't it be great if I found the secret of how to live the rest of your life without ever experiencing any physical, emotional, relational pain? Wow. The Bible talks about that day, but it's not in this day. It's when Christ comes back and brings all things and makes all things new. Until that day, we're going to experience pain. We're going to experience hurt. And we might even be part of that. Very likely, we'll be part of hurting others. And so, this message is all about how do we move forward from this roadblock of hurt. So how does that roadblock work? Well, when we're hurt, here's some of the things that can happen. A lot of times there's this shock and disbelief, can't believe that it's happened. There's this disorientation to it all, like what just happened here? There's deep disappointment. More likely, there could be a great sense of betrayal, sometimes some shame, depending on how widespread the hurt goes. There could be flashes of red-hot anger, an overwhelming desire to defend ourselves, and at the same time to get back, to get even, we can't stop thinking about it. We dream about it every night, maybe for weeks and months and maybe longer. We might even wonder where God is in all of this because it hurts so bad. And he, he, he says he loves us. And he said he'd never leave us or forsake us. But man, he sure seems distant. And it doesn't feel that way. I think Job caught up with those emotions when he writes in Job twenty four twelve: the groans of the dying rise from the city And the wounded cry for help, yet God ignores their moaning. Maybe that's how you feel today. In a word, I think the roadblock is bitterness, because I think that's the backside of deep hurt. And when there's bitterness in our lives, we get stuck, we can't move forward. Bitterness is going to just stop us in our tracks. And our bitterness may be focused on God. It may be focused on the person who's offended us. And if we don't release it, if we don't move through this feelings of deep resentment, we are going to have this resentment become like a cancer that destroys us from the inside out. It may show up in a bitterness um, that that has to do with um, great seeking of revenge and vengeance, or it could be a bitterness that kind of is more passive and we just kind of retreat in this great funk of despair. Either way, a roadblock. And the Bible says this, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, It says, be careful about this root of bitterness that can grow up and cause a lot of trouble because a root of bitterness can grow into this sequoia tree of bitterness that wherever you go in life, physically, emotionally, in your conversation, in your head, you're always bumping into it. And think about it. You know people like that that whenever you get together with them they talk about the divorce they talk about can you believe I got cut by the coach can you believe I got fired for my job can you believe this or that and they just keep they keep running into it running into because that root of bitterness grew up to be a tree grew up to be a redwood and it consumes their life and it dominates their life and it prevents us from moving forward we get stuck in the injustice and so Right now, as you're thinking about one of the deepest hurts in your life, the question is, have you worked through the pain? Have you got to the other side of it? Do you have the tools to move forward when hurt? And are you sure you've processed it in a healthy way that has moved you from being a bitter person to by God's grace, a better person? And every time we're hurt, there's that fork in the road. It's not as simple as you only turn once, but there's this constant choosing. And I, am I gonna let this just drive me to be a bitter person or am I gonna trust God through the pain to become a better person? Moving forward with God's help makes us a better person. And I don't think there's any one of us that go, I know I would rather be a bitter person because I find so much joy in bitterness. We don't, but there's a gravity to pain that naturally takes us here. The gravity of pain naturally will take you to a dark place of the soul and bitterness, becoming self-absorbed and the pity party, and we just can't even think about giving our life away to others and in that, finding true life. It's supernatural, it's God's grace that allows us to become better people. So our goal today is that we become better people as we look to God for help in the midst of our pain. That's, that's our hope, that's our prayer. So I'm hoping that maybe for the first time or for sure today, you consider that God not only knows your pain, But he cares, and that he's the one that can take you from bitterness to a better person. So grab your Bible. We're in Psalm 10. That's the middle of your Bible. The Psalms are a collection of the songs of the Hebrew people, the Israelites, God's people, 150 of them. They're right in the middle of the Bible. As I'm having you turn to Psalm 10, it's reminding me that our discussion questions in your life groups this week has a typo. It says Psalm 22. You're going to be really confused if you try to do your discussion out of Psalm 22. It's Psalm 10, so just note that. And as we get in, I just want to uh, just shout out to David Paulson's little book, Why Me? It was so helpful when I discovered that book that directed me to Psalm 10, because I didn't know there would be a psalm that would just help us anchor our thoughts here about this roadblock called hurt. Look at the first 11 verses. Here's how the song starts. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. "'Who are caught in the schemes he devises. "'He boasts about the cravings of his heart. "'He blesses the greedy and reviles or despises the Lord. "'In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. "'In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. "'His ways are always prosperous. "'Your laws are rejected by him. "'He sneers at all his enemies. "'He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. "'He swears, no one will ever do me harm.' His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse, they fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. So the psalm starts out giving us a clue on the victim and the victim's cry. He describes the victim as helpless, as someone who's weak or vulnerable, whether it's by constitution or position. Their spirit is crushed, by the abuse of power of their attacker. And note their initial cry. Their initial cry is, God, where are you? Why are you standing far off? Why are you hiding yourself? Come on. Do you know what's going on in my life? Intervene on my behalf. Please help me. That's exactly where he is. And it reminds us that hurt And the emotions tied to our deep pain will drive us to question God's existence, God's character, and even doubt his promises. You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You said you love me with an everlasting love. Doesn't feel like it right now. How could you let this happen to me? Defend me. Make this right. Why is this person getting away with it? You see what they're doing to my name and my character. Come on, God, where are you? Be prepared for the intensity of emotions. If you've never been through a deep hurt, be prepared for the intensity of emotions that might surprise you. They're strong. But whatever they're telling you about God, make sure you bring it all to God. Your pain, your questions, your concerns, even your accusations against God, he is big enough for all of it. The worst thing we could do would become functional atheists that go, obviously there's not a God. If there was a God, he wouldn't have let this happen. And so I'm not even going to try to process through this time of deep pain with God right now. Take it all, as messy as it is. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. You're gonna find yourself going through the Psalms and I'm gonna direct you to the Psalms. I'm gonna say to you, there's no better place in all of scripture to go when you're going through a storm, when you're going through deep hurt because you are not gonna believe how many times you run into the scriptures and you go, well, that's exactly how I feel. God, why are you standing far off? Why are you hiding yourself? So your soul's gonna find great resonance in the lyrics of the psalmist. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't go from verse two, 1 down to verse 12. Because look at, look at the, how it could read. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then 12, arise, Lord, lift up your Come on, God, come to my aid. But rather, he spends from verse 2 all the way down to verse 11, describing the qualities, characteristics, the drive, and the things that drive someone who does great hurt like this. And we go, why, why, why is that there? Well, I don't know for sure, but I know one of the things that's easy to do when we go through and, and are confronted with great pain and suffering that comes from evil is it's easy to attach that evil with God. God, why would you let this happen? Come on, you're God, you're in control. You can stop this. Why? And so it's easy to start making dotted line, this is because of you. And the psalmist catches us and clarifies that no, actually, this is because of a wicked person who's doing life without God. If you sum up their MO, it's as simple as this. These people are proud, they're above the law, they're self-absorbed, they're defiant, they're deceitful, they're cocky, they're evil, and thinking about evil, planning about evil, rejoicing in evil, and actually cheering on those who do the same thing it's not because god is evil but because the capacity of evil lurks within all of us we all have the capability of inflicting great hurt and pain on other people and the psalm is just clarifying it for himself and from god he's questioning god he's questioning god where are you but he's not going to assign god the blame And that's a healthy corrective when you're going through it and you're questioning if God could make it really easy to say, and it's your fault. You're behind all of this. What did Joseph say to his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so we have the cry We have the description of those who inflict great harm. And he moves from his questioning of God in verse 1. Now he brings his faith into play, tying down these strong feelings to the truth of God's word and his character revealed as the history of God with his people is unfolded in the scriptures that he had. So do you remember your first response to deep hurt? Like the first seconds, the the first minutes. The disbelief, the deep disappointment, the sense of offense, confusion, fear, like what's going to happen here? This frantic chasing down, why is this happening? Because it doesn't always make sense, does it? Was there also this this kind of... Um, just growing anger and was there also this sense of wanting to defend ourselves? And I mean, all these things are in play and here's what I know. Feelings are real. Feelings are strong but they don't necessarily lead us to what is true about this whole situation. Starting with God, including yourself and the person or persons. Feelings are real. In times of hurt, they are really strong. They're like really loud, but they are not really necessarily going to lead us to truth. That's why we got to stick to the word of God. And so he's questioning God, But now he's tying down his feelings with the truth of God and his character as it's been revealed in God's word, recording the history of God's involvement with his people. There's a track record here, and he's bringing his faith to bear. And it's a beautiful thing. And notice the feelings that were in the driver's seat in verse 1. Now, now, they're not in the driver's seat. His faith, his trust in God is in the driver's seat. That's what's driving. So look at verse 12. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. So his faith in the face of strong feelings that we're saying, why bother? They're now driving his movement forward. He's not letting the feelings. The feelings, I guarantee you guys, is going to keep taking us back to this place, bitterness. It's going to keep taking you back there. It's his faith in God that is allowing him to move through it to that better place. Verse 12, he acknowledges that God knows not just his sufferings, but the hurtful deeds of the wicked, the injustice of it all. He, he, in verse 13, is trying to make sense of what was sensed. It's like, why is this guy doing this? And why does he think he can get away with it? And he's taking the the confusion of it and processing it right back to God. He doesn't doesn't know, but he's asking God, why? He's sorting it out with God. In verse 14, he understands that God not only knows, he sees He considers, that is, he takes it to heart. And not only does he take it to heart, he takes it in his hand, i.e., he's going to do something, he is going to act. Psalm 34 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he is the defender of the weak and the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor, the person in distress. He teaches us that it is a wise thing in the midst of pain to not go here with our feelings but to trust to commit ourselves to God to move forward in a healthy God-honoring way. Commit ourselves to God cuz he's our helper. He's what we need to turn to for help. Remember Psalm 46:1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a day of trouble. That's what he's saying. Wise people commit themselves to God. He's our helper. And notice what he doesn't say and doesn't pray towards the end here in verse 15. He doesn't say, and God strengthen me now so I can crush this guy and break his arm. It's really important that he releases his right to get back, to get even, to take vengeance and seek revenge. He said, God, I'm gonna give you that. You do that. Stop him in his tracks. Break his arm. This is, this is poetry. This is metaphor. I mean, maybe he meant it literally. But just just like bring a hurt on him to stop him, to wake him up to what he's doing. Bring some pain in this man's life to wake him up to the pain he's inflicted on me and so many others. Stop him in his tracks. Bring him to justice. It's a beautiful thing. Uncover his evil deeds. So notice his confident trust then in God as he continues Verses 16 through 18, the Lord is king forever and ever. This is his view. The nations will perish from his land. He rules. He's in control. He's over all things, all nations. Verse 17, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, which which are hallmark categories for the vulnerable and the weak so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. He sees God is in control. God is not passive. He's not distant. He's, he is he's not indifferent. He's responsive. He hears, he acts, he defends the orphan, and he grants hope so that one day, these kind of people will no longer strike terror in the hearts and lives of other people which reminds us of the promise of Christ renewing all things through him, to himself, right? God renewing all things, reconciling all things to himself through Christ for our good. It reminds us of, of, of Revelation 21.4 when God says, he, I'm going to wipe away every tear. There are going to be no more death there's going to be no more crying there's going to be no more mourning and the last thing it says no more pain no more pain but until that day we keep looking to God for our help but he promises us that one day we will never hurt again We will never hurt anyone again. We will never be hurt. Until that day, God is our helper. We commit our lives to him. We refuse to go down this bitter path, and we're gonna be better people as we trust God for this journey that is hard and is gonna be long, but we trust him to do good through it. So this psalm, do you know how long ago this was written? Like 3,000, this is like 1,000 B.C., so do your math. This is a 3,000-year-old scripture. God's word is living and active, Hebrews 4.12 says, sharper than a double-edged sword. This is God's word for us, 2 Timothy 3.16. It teaches, it rebukes us. That is, it tells us we're, we're, we're going the wrong direction. It corrects us. It gets us back on the right path. It trains us in righteousness so that the godly woman or man is adequately equipped to do the good things that he's called us to do. This is a good word for us. And so the psalmist right now is our number one counselor. God through his word is counseling us. The spirit is the Holy Spirit who brings comfort and he guides us in God's truth. And so let's open ourselves to the counsel of God that we've heard from his word and just go rehearse it again. What is Psalm 10 counseling us to do in our great Difficulty when we've gone through great pain and suffering and deep hurt. First thing he says is remember the whole thing about your feelings. You don't trust him, don't put him in the driver's seat. You can bring it all to God, he's big enough for it all, but understand the strength of your feelings. And he cautions us to follow those feelings. The second thing he does is he says, remember that your suffering has not to do with an evil God, with evil people who choose to do life without God, whether it's been the trajectory of their life all along or in this time in their life where they're going, they're just saying, forget it. I'm going to do my own thing and rejoice in doing what they do because that's what they're doing. It's not about God. It's about this person. And fundamentally, even though it feels like the issue is you, it's not about you. This person is doing what they're doing because they're not in right relationship with God. Remember that. The third thing he says, and it's the main thing he says, is turn to God. Turn to God. Commit yourself to God. Entrust your life to God. Trust Him to take the pain and protect you from the bitterness and make you a better person trust God in the way that Joseph did when he said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good so that I could be part of bringing salvation to many people even our own family he would say to his brothers that we'd be spared from this famine in Paulson's little book he writes this the church should and I think we could use the word must help In practical ways, legal matters may need to be pursued. Mercy ministries, advocacy work are all good things. But Psalm 10 drives home a bigger issue. First and finally, the hurting need God. You need God. And one of the good things that God does through pain, as Lewis says, sometimes God uses pain like a megaphone to get our attention to drive us to a God who knows and who cares and who can be our helper in a day of trouble. So as we turn to God with all of our feelings, with all of our questions, with all of our pain, knowing that he's big enough. As we turn to God, it means returning to God's word. His word is truth. Letting the truth tie down the intense feelings to direct us in how we ought to think and how we ought to respond, and how we move forward in our lives. I'm telling you, you are not going to believe when you get into the Psalms in a time of great difficulty, how many times you go, that's exactly how I feel. I didn't know how to put it in words, but that's exactly, or wow, I felt that way, and how he worked it out was not at all how I'm working it out, and that's so helpful for me right now. Wow, he felt that way about God? I feel that way about God. I didn't know if I could say that about God, but since it's in the Bible, I guess it's okay. You see what I'm saying? And so there's great resonance, as I said before, in our souls to the lyrics of the Psalms. What does he teach us as we turn to God? Get rid of, push it away, any desire to get back, to take justice in our own hands. He frees us from that impossible task of un- for us to understand in our deep hurt what it would look like to bring justice to bear in that situation. So release that and acknowledge that if God is king, then he's in control. And that if he's God who knows us and made us and loves us, then we can trust him that he's going to work even this hard thing out for good. Romans 8, 28. All things aren't good, the Bible says. All things work together for good. To who? To those who love God. And are called according to his purposes trust god that this great hurt that what is so hard in your life could actually become something that is so redeemable and actually good in your life and if we do that here's what we're going to do we're going to let the pain not drive us towards bitterness not have us focus on that person who offended us so deeply and those that were part of it but we're going to let the pain now refer us Not back, but forward to Christ, to Christ, and back to the cross. So when you go through hard things... Understand that Christ went through hard things. He's our sympathetic high priest, Hebrews 4.15. He understands the human condition. And though he was tempted in every way that we were, he never sinned, and he knows what it's like to be deeply hurt relationally. He knows what it's like to have injustice. He, He fled with his parents. He probably didn't have cognition of it as a baby, but he was a refuge fleeing from Herod who wanted to kill him. Right? His first sermon when he's 30 years of age in his hometown of Nazareth, he's preaching this great sermon out of Isaiah 61. And he's saying, I'm the one that the prophet was talking about who's going to bring freedom to the captives and the prisoners. And I'm going to bring in this day of Jubilee. And they're all going, This is awesome. This is awesome. But he's saying, And I'm not just going to bring it to the Jews, I'm going to bring it to all people. Like, you know, like the widow that Elijah reached out to, and, and like Naaman. the the, the guy who was outside of Israel, the leper. And when they heard about God's plan for people outside of Israel, they were offended by that and they were ripped off by that and they were so angry that they pushed Jesus off to the crown of the hill there above Nazareth to push him off and kill him. That was his hometown crowd. Now let's talk about his parents. What we know is in the scriptures that at one point in his ministry, his mom and his brothers came to kind of take him away because they thought he's losing it and we need to just kind of find you know we need to find a respite place for Jesus to get you know to get in a better place emotionally because he, he wasn't good the religious leaders who are all looking for Messiah Jesus is the promised Messiah they they're harassing him they are slandering him they're opposing him at every turn to the point where they 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 they, they they hold this bogus kangaroo court that has one word over it: injustice, and they convince a weak leader Pilate to crucify him and remember when he was arrested and that, that all the disciples they just fled, Peter from a distance, remember John made it all the way in with with Jesus, but everybody deserted him Judas. His own disciple, he he betrayed him. Peter denied him. And then he hung publicly, humiliated, naked on a cross where they were taunting him and spitting at him and laughing at him and all the rest. There isn't any part of the hard. There isn't any part of relational pain that you've experienced where Jesus would go, I don't quite get that. And you know, we've all had this experience happen. We're going through something hard, and someone someone comes up to us and don't do this. And they say, I know just where you're at. Well, you might know a little bit about where they're at. You may even know a lot about where they're at, but you don't know just where they're at. Jesus knows exactly where you're at, better than you know yourself. You turn to Christ, you run to Christ, you take this hard pain and you drive it to, you connect it to Christ's death on the cross. And what you're doing at that point too is reminding yourself, not just of his sufferings, but why he suffered, because he loved you. I remember when I was in Sunday school as a little kid, they'd say, all right, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they said, "Now, Mark, what I want you to do is substitute your name for the world. For God so loved Mark. That's true. His sufferings remind us of his great love for us. The extent of his love that he would give up his life and suffer the injustice, the humiliation and the physical torture and the, the spiritual separation from the father. Where what does Jesus cry on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he felt forsaken by the Father. Turn to Him, and as you turn to Him, might we respond like Him, forgiving those who have wronged us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. You go, I can't, I can't do that. Christ in you can do that. Jesus says, if you've been forgiven, you will forgive. It's the mark of forgiven people. Well, they don't don't even acknowledge that they did anything wrong. That's not the point. You think that holding back forgiveness is going to help them actually repent and confess. That's not how it works. You're responsible for tending the garden of your own heart. This whole concept of forgiveness is a great gift that God models to us that keeps our hearts pure. Pure. So if we don't forgive, what happens is we allow the bitterness to take root. And the key word in the New Testament forgiveness has this idea, send it away. Well, what are we sending away? The pain, the hurt that becomes the root of bitterness, that becomes the redwood sequoia that dominates our life and ruins us from the inside and out. Forgive. I'm not dealing with their relationship with God. I can't, I'm not a priest at this point when I forgive them. They got to do their work with God through Christ. But I'm forgiving this part, the horizontal part. Every sin goes like this. And notice that's the figure of the cross that Christ covers it all. So we forgive them by sending it away. And by the way, note to self, you don't do it once. And there isn't anything wrong with you when you go, man, I thought I did that. But man, I have all these feelings again. That's how it works. It is a process. You keep on going. You keep on sending it away. Keep on sending it away. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness. Not some of it, most of it, all of it all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So we're extending forgiveness. We're extending mercy. Here's like this huge thing. When, when you're dealing with great anger, and there is such a thing as rightful anger. We're gonna look at anger next week. But they're, they're, we're more likely to get the anger thing wrong. Yeah, Ephesians four twenty six: be angry and Sid not. But we're more likely, Jesus got it perfect all the time. When he's throwing the tables over in the temple, he's, that's righteous anger. We're probably not going to get it right. So when you got all this anger and you go, I don't know what to do with it. Well, here's this really like, oh, that was so helpful when in a time of great, great hurt, long before he came here, Um. I was dealing with all this anger and I didn't know what to do with it. I was just trying to push it down and just keep it. And I I felt like I needed an outlet. And the outlet to all that anger is actually mercy. It's like a powerful thing that I want you to just get a hold of. So anger most likely is going to turn us into a a focus of um, that person, those actions. It's going to bring up all kinds of bitterness and stuff like that. It's not going to usually make us a better person. Almost always not going to make us a better person. But it's a right response. It's it's a possible response to what's happened. There's another possible response that isn't like, okay, let's just pretend it didn't, sweep it under the carpet. Well, that's not helpful. Let's not pretend, well, that that really did I know you didn't mean to do that. It really didn't hurt. And so let's just forget it and move on. And you go, well, that's not really true. But here, this is true. Mercy acknowledges the offense. Eyes wide open. Know exactly what you did. Joseph, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So he had the opportunity to throw his brothers into jail as the second in command in Egypt. He didn't do that. He extended mercy. What is mercy? It's when we don't get what we deserve. And so when you extend mercy, which is forgiveness and then ongoing forgiveness and graciousness and kindness and compassion. And that doesn't mean that we trust them. So let's just say this person in your family abused one of your kids. you, You need to forgive them. You can extend mercy, but that doesn't mean you extend trust again so that you ever trust that person. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are consequences to people's actions that continue, that change the dynamics of the relationship. But at our heart, we continue to forgive. At our heart, we continue to traffic in mercy. We extend mercy. And the beautiful thing about mercy is it gives an outlet to all this anger that we have. And you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to it, but I'm not choosing anger. I'm going to choose mercy, and I'm going to be compassionate, and I'm going to be humble to realize I'm a person who's harmed and hurt other people as well, maybe not to this degree. If we're responding like Christ, it's not just forgiveness, it's not just mercy, but there's this peacemaking. What does Jesus say? If we're children of God, Matthew 5, 9, we're peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Now, in Romans 12, verse 18, This is like a really important verse in these relational dynamics. It says this, if it is possible, meaning it may not be, as far as it depends on you, understand that it takes two to reconcile, but you bring everything you can to the table if it's possible. They may not even be alive, but if it's possible, what does it say? Live at peace with everyone. Well, Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, so helpful in this if you're working through something of the close relationship family or another christian this is the book to go through he's going to say get the log out of your own eye you know you 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 see this speck you see this problem somebody else you better just take a look in the mirror make sure you don't have like a telephone pole like you got something even bigger going on in your life all right then it says you know then he says you just restore gently Matthew 18, point out their fault. If they they don't see it, take somebody else or a couple people. Point out their fault. If they don't see it, we'll bring it to the church, the leadership. See if they can help bring this person, not the punishment, to a right place in the relationship with God and with others in the family of God. So take advantage as we turn to God and trust in Christ of the resources he's given us, the spirit, the word, his people. People. Find godly people who are not going to drive you down into this path and and this little eddy of bitterness. People that are going to help you be better. People who actually listen to you and let you process without just plastering you with a lot of spiritual cliches and bromides right there people who will listen to you, let you process, people who will weep with you and enter into the sorrow, people who will serve you, people who will stick with you. You'll find out in these times who your real friends are. We want to be real friends in our life groups. We want you know there are resources here in our support groups all around this church, whether it's celebrate recovery, people going through hurts and hang-ups and bad habits, whether it's grief share or divorce care. There, there's... There's there's a support group for people who are dealing with mental illness and drug addictions called Giving Hope. Second chapter for marriages, people dealing with infidelity in its various forms. There's people who are grieving for uh, stillborn babies, miscarriages, the child I never knew, all kinds of places. So take advantage of those. You're not meant to go through this alone. One of the ways that God helps us is through his people. Last thing, we're just rifling through all this. And the reality is when you've experienced deep hurt, this is a long journey. So I was referencing a time where it just went through something really, really hard. And I went to see my friend who was a counselor who said to me, Mark, this is going to take you a couple of years. (laughs) I said, a couple of years. I said, Doug, you don't understand I, I don't know why I'm not trying to boast about it, but I forgive fast. That's just who I am. I forgive fast. For the next two years, every night I dreamt about that. Every night. These things are the, the deeper the hurt, the longer it's gonna take. It's messy. Because the truth is a lot of these times where we've been hurt, we we have some part in it. It's not Usually, just the innocent. It can be, but it's not always like that. And so, man, it's messy and it's painful. And every day's this kind of challenge. Am I going to go the bitter way or am I going to trust God to make me a better person? I'm a better person. I wouldn't wish what I went through for any of you, for my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish it but I'm a better person. I think I'm a better pastor because I went through it. Hard and good go together in God. Trust him. Look to Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and worn out. Let's pray. The benediction and blessing I want to give you is from the verse that was my rock in that time. 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself, check this out, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be all the glory. Amen.